So you, um, you said earlier that perhaps we shouldn't approach the, uh, the Bible and read it as if it were a biology textbook. Yes. How would you respond to folks who approach the Bible and see it primarily as a history textbook, as, as a chronicle of a collection of events that have taken place in the past and have no real bearing on today? Um, maybe even the events and the movements of a God in a time that has passed who is no longer moving today. And they might even, in the same breath, look at some of the prophetic books and say, well, this is something that he says he's going to do, but between what we have as having been done and these things that he says he will do, what is he doing now? Where is he? Where are yeah. the evidences? Um, so, so how might you answer that question? Uh, I, I guess the simple version would be, what is God doing today? Yeah, what is God doing? So <laughs> the better question for what is God doing today is what's God not doing today? So in other words, it, it, it comes down, the question itself reveals a lot about how we think about God. So a lot of us think about the God of the Simpsons or South Park or you know, the God who's just, he's up there and he's doing something up there, but we're down here and this is where life happens. Or he did something way back then, but we're today and this is what's going on. And the, the thing to be aware of is how limited our perspective is. I mean, other than the counselor chaperones here, none of you have lived longer than, what, 18 years? 17 years, 18, 19 tops? I mean, you, you've been on Earth a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of time. And me, not much longer. You know, like, it, we, and, and even the oldest person in here, still a tiny amount of time. And largely in North America, in our setting. So there's so much. So when people say, well, I don't see God doing stuff today. I'm like, well, one, where have you been? You know, have you been to India with Christians over there? Have you been to a house church in China? Have you been to churches in the, the Congo jungle? Because I have friends and I've been to some of those places. And, and God's very actively doing stuff in those places if you listen to their accounts. But the second thing is the question itself betrays an understanding of God where there's this distance between us. And in scripture, so we are Christians, why don't we look at the Bible? In there's a book called Colossians in the New Testament. And it's about halfway through the New Testament. Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's a short book. You could read it in probably 20 minutes. Um, but when Paul, he's writing this to these Christians at this city, city called Colossae, and he's writing to a culture. Now, Colossae was in the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire, this, this part of the world, was dominated by the Greco-Roman gods, the, the people that they worshipped. And some of you, if you ever read mythology or studied any of it, people like, you know, like Mars and Venus, Aphrodite, um, Apollo, all of these gods. And the way that it worked in the ancient world was, in this period of time, was the gods had certain things that they were good at. Like, I'm the god of war. I'm the god of sex. I'm the god of fertility. I'm the god of health and healing. I'm the god of whatever. So if you needed something, you needed your crops to grow, you go pray to the goddess of fertility. If you need your son to be healed, you go pray to the god of healing. And, and you, there's no assurance that they're going to listen because the gods are way up on Mount Olympus, which was this fictional mountain where the gods lived and looked down on humans and kind of 
you know, saw what they were doing. Occasionally, Zeus would get kind of in the mood and come down and have sex with somebody, and then another god would be born from that. And, I mean, the, the, the accounts are full of these kind of things. But that was the belief in the ancient world. Gods are up there. We're down here. We've got to do something to get their attention, and then they'll act on our behalf. So along comes Paul, and he's bringing the gospel of Jesus to this nation and the people in this area. And he says this about, he's talking about Jesus, and he says, this is chapter 1, and this is verse 15 of chapter 1. He's going on about Jesus and how he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom, uh, given us redemption, forgiveness of sins, all this stuff. And then he says in verse 15, he says, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. What he's, what he's talking about, later in the book of Acts, Paul would say something similar to this when he'd go to this city of Athens. And uh, he went to this place called Mars Hill, and he was speaking there, and there were all these philosophers, and, and they, you know, same, same culture, same concept of the gods. And he, Paul actually quotes from their own top 40 hits, like their own pagan poetry. And he quotes a song that was originally written about Zeus. And he quotes it as saying, no, that's right, but it's not about Zeus, it's about God. And it says, and the quote is, in him we live and move and have our being." for we are his offspring. He quotes two, two pagan poets. If you go and read your Bible, it's Acts uh, 17, I think, and it'll, you'll see that in quotation marks. Point being, when the gospel, the, the idea of God up in heaven looking down on us from a distance is not one that the gospel writers believe. The gospel writers believed that, no, 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 God is in everything. God is, is in, now it's not the force, it's not like just this nebulous, you know, trust in the force. Uh, but it's like, no, 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 God is in everything. Because if he's God, he has to be. If he created everything, it's not like he built this little Legoland set and then set it over there and watched it do its thing. Like, he's in everything. It's the doctrine, theologians call it the doctrine of imminence. Like, God's everywhere. So the psalmist and the prophets in the Old Testament and others will say, where can I go? Where can I flee? Where can I go and hide from you? If I go to the highest heaven, you know, the highest mountains, you're there. If I make my uh, bed in the depths of the grave, you're there. Go to the east, go to the west. You can't get away. Jonah learned that lesson the hard way. You can't get away from God because he's everywhere. So when, when people say, what's God doing today? I, what's he not doing today? Like literally everything. And the, the Hebrew writers, a thousand years before Paul, they wrote a psalm. It's Psalm 104. And it's a cool psalm because this whole thing, it's, a, it's an explanation of all this. Like it walks through the days of creation. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but read it sometime on your own. I just want to point out one part of it. <clears throat> psalm 104 in verse 10. It's praising God for creation. It's praising God for the things that he did at the beginning, right? But look how it says it. it uh, verse, you know, verses 6, 7, 8, 9, they talk about what God did back in the time. And then, verse 10, he makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. 
They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters that sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle, makes plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stork has its home in the pine trees, the high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crags are a refuge for the conies. And then verse 19, the moon marks off the seasons, the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then man goes out to work to his labor until evening. How many, of your work, how many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. It keeps going on. It's, it's tracing the days of this. But the point is that for the author of the psalm, God's creative works that he did are continuing in their application. So the, the ancient writer, he knows that grass grows if you plant seeds. He knows that, you know, predators eat prey. He knows that rain falls on the earth and, and, and that that's where the waters and the rivers come from. He knows all that stuff, but he also knows that if God is God, if he's the creator, he's also the sustainer. And so he's involved in it all. So where's the payoff? Well, one of the things to me it says is there's no such thing as a prayer too small. If God, if, if there's one electron in the universe that God doesn't have control over, he's not God. Every single thing. Now how that works and how that gets into decisions that we make and free will and all this stuff, we'll talk about that maybe some tomorrow night. But in terms of sovereignty, and ability, God is in everything. So, you know, some people, they say like, they'll criticize uh, athletes after a game. You know, an athlete, I want to thank Jesus for this win. Or sometimes if they're a really good Christian athlete and they lose, they'll say, I still thank Jesus even though I lost, which is rare. You don't hear that one as much. But you do hear it every now and then. But the point is, some people say, like God cares about a football game outcome. Well, of course he does. He's God, not for the same reason. He's not rooting for one team over the other, but those teams are made up of players, and those players are people, and those people live lives, and those lives impact the people around them. So how a player experiences a victory or a defeat is very much a character formation event, and that can echo throughout their lives. So God absolutely cares about who wins and who loses. God does get involved in everything the mundane aspects of life. I mean, the whole, it's very much, we don't know how things will echo through eternity. So something that could be a tiny, minute little decision one day can have consequences that far outweigh anything we can imagine in the future. And none of us have any ability to know that. But God does. Because he's right there in it. And he can see it all. And he can, he can reorder the entire universe around every single prayer if he wanted to. So it's helpful in even asking that question, what's God doing today? He's doing the same thing he's always been doing. He's created the earth. He's leading it towards a goal. And he's giving his people a mission within that time period. 